One of my favorite ways to think about selling, one of my favorite analogies is this concept of same-side selling. How can we get on the same side of the table as the buyer so it's us together versus this problem, right? And easier said than done, of course. But one of the things I'm really excited about with this episode is we have Ian Altman on the show, and he's going to talk about this concept of same-side selling, and we're going to get into tactics and strategies on how you can get on the same side as the buyer so that it's you working together to get a deal done versus you closing a deal. Big difference between those two. Before we dig into that, my name is Jason Bay. Thanks for checking out the podcast. You're listening to Outbound Squad, and our goal is to help you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're an SDR, BDR, sending cold emails, trying to set up a bunch of meetings, that sort of stuff, making cold calls, you're in the right place. And if you're an account executive doing full cycle sales, we talk about discovery, selling, objection handling, demos, all of that kind of good stuff as well. So Ian Altman, co-author of a book called Same Side Selling. We're going to dig into a couple of things today that I think you're really going to enjoy. One is this framework behind getting on the same side as the buyer. And there's a lot that we talk about. One of them you're going to learn about is he calls it elevator rants. So how to really learn the language that your buyer speaks so that they feel like they're talking to a peer and you can have a peer to peer conversation and it helps build rapport and you know that sort of stuff. He's got a great framework for prospecting as well called entice, disarm and discover. I thought that that was pretty cool. And then the other thing that we're going to get into is sort of how to ask questions in a way that get good, honest responses. So for example, a, a really bad example of this would be if you're in a group Zoom call and you say, does anyone have any questions? <laughs> Most people are not going to ask questions because they don't know if they should be asking a question or not. And it hasn't really... The environment hasn't really been created for someone to feel safe asking a question. So a different way that we could, you know, sort of pose a question is, hey, you probably have a lot of questions. How can I help you? Or, hey, it would be totally normal uh, if you're listening to this so far and there's something that maybe totally didn't make sense. So what did I do a bad job of explaining? Like giving the buyer a chance to correct you and ask questions this not only helps in a sales settings, but also just as a leader and you know running different types of calls as well. So uh, all of this and a bunch more. I think you're really going to like this. Before you we get to the episode, make sure to you know like, subscribe to the podcast, leave an honest rating for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. Definitely helps to get more people exactly like you listening to it. That's all I got for you. Let's get to the interview. So we met, I'm sure you remember, I sent you a cold email. I was you like, did. hey man, big fan of your stuff. Do you want to jam on a podcast together? That was back in, I think, 2017, 2018, somewhere around there. I don't know it's a while. I mean, I could look it up and find out, but it's it's been a while. And you know, you made you made a significant impression. I was like, Yeah, it's heavy on the podcast. Let's talk about this stuff. And to this day, I run into people and they're like, Well, so what are we doing with the prospect? And I'm like, you gotta listen to Jason Bay's stuff. Jason's got some great stuff on I appreciate that. So I appreciate that. I, uh, 
One thing that stuck out to me just about your podcast, your content, and especially your book is the analogy of seam side selling. It's it's one of those things. How did you come up with that? Because it seems so obvious, which I think are the best ones are the stuff that seems obvious that no one has thought of. And the imagery of same side selling is just brilliant. How did how did you come up with that idea? Well, so I co-wrote the book with Jack Quarles. Jack, yeah. as many as many people know, last name like Quarles, most people guess he's a guy who spent most of his life in purchasing and procurement. And and so what we talk about is these adversarial traps that pit buyer and seller against one another. And yeah. as we were as we were writing the book, and of course, like many like many books, you're writing the content before you have the title. And people would ask us, well, what's the gist? What, what is it that you guys are really writing about that's different? And we would just say, well, it's really about getting the buyer and seller on the same side of the table, on the same side of the deal, almost like putting a puzzle together. And people would say, so is that what you're going to call it? Same side selling? And we said, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's not like we did this great focus group. It was more like, all right, well, this, this sounds like it. And then we tested with a few people like, Oh, that's that's like really tight. Like that, that makes a lot. Like people instantly get a sense of what the book's about just from the title, which we're fortunate because most books it doesn't work that way. Yeah, well, especially sales books. Uh, a lot of them have very kind of I don't want to say misleading titles, but it doesn't exactly tell you what what you're going to get from the book. You know, yeah. um, one of the uh, metaphors or analogies, I guess, that you use is this concept of game versus puzzle yeah. that I thought was kind of interesting. I thought it'd be kind of start kind of high level with the why. Well, sure. What does seam side selling mean in this analogy that you use this game versus puzzle? So, so almost every sales book has either a game metaphor or a battle mm. metaphor. In the game yeah. metaphor, you have a winner and a loser. In the battle metaphor, the loser dies. Yeah. And then we wonder, <laughs> we wonder why our interactions with clients and prospects comes out to be adversarial. It's like, gee, I wonder why. Like, let's play a game. And people always, you know, it's like, it's like when it comes to prospecting, and obviously you don't teach this, which is why you and I get along, but a lot of people are like, well, you got to know the enemy. I'm like, they're not the enemy. <laughs> they're your client or prospect. You should be yeah. trying to figure out how you can work together. Is there a fit or isn't there? So we use the metaphor of a puzzle. And this is something that really I give, I give Jack all the credit for Jack said, yeah, it's kind of like we're walking down the street and we have a bag that has puzzle pieces and we're trying to find other people who have puzzle pieces, who have bags of puzzle pieces that fit with our puzzle. And if they don't, they're not evil. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just our puzzle pieces don't fit. And it might be that two weeks from now we run into the same person and now they're putting together a different puzzle and then we fit. But once you have that mindset, it's no longer the notion of, well, I'm fearing rejection. Like if someone's puzzle pieces don't fit, you're like, oh, I'm a loser. <laughs> it's okay. Your puzzle yeah. pieces don't fit with my puzzle. It's okay. You and I just jointly discovered that our puzzle pieces don't fit. Let me see if I can find someone that has the other pieces for your puzzle. And so once you have that mindset, it becomes less about how do I outmaneuver somebody? And it's more about getting to the truth. I'm, I'm a big believer that effective sales is not about persuasion or coercion. It's about getting to the truth as quickly as humanly possible. Yeah. The, the rejection piece, I was just thinking about the, 
there's almost this intention that you can set that kind of permeates through all of your communication and down to the tone on a phone call, you know, a sales call, for example, when you're approaching this as something that you figure out together versus me trying to catch you having some sort of problem that you didn't know about or whatever, you know, kind of thing. Do you, well, I guess a better question might like from a mindset standpoint, because we talk about mindset so much in sales. How do you think about the mindset, you know, component of the approach? I, I, I look at it this way. What, what I, what I teach people is what you should be doing is you should have a really good handle on the problems that you solve for your ideal clients. Then your job is to find people where those problems resonate with them and they say, oh yeah, I might have those same problems. And then your job is to see if they can convince you that they believe that problem is worth solving. So it's not about us convincing them, it's about asking enough questions so we get a sense of, is this a big enough issue for them that makes it worthwhile for them to solve this? So, you know, I, I help organizations much like you do when it comes to sales and growth. And I've had people contact me and they're like, hey, can you work with our team? We have five people. And so many people will be like, oh, that's great. Let me see your proposal, this and that. And I'll say, you know, it, it's not inexpensive to work with me. How are you going to justify that level of investment for five people? And they'll be like, oh, well, let me tell you why. Because you helped a buddy of mine's company grow from 100 million to 600 million. We're like 15 million right now. We think we can get to 75 million, but we can't do it on our own. And that, okay, now you've just convinced me that that makes sense. But initially I'm skeptical. Like, there's no way you can spend this much money for five people. Like, I got to hear this story. And it's like, so if you take that approach of other people convincing you rather than you convincing them, it becomes an area where we're mutually trying to evaluate, is there a good fit? Yeah. And can we generate the right outcome together? Because the one thing that everybody in sales understands but forgets is that when you get the wrong client, you get sucked into the vortex of evil and they become the bane of your existence. And it's like, oh, man, I, I spent all this time with these people. They're not a good fit. It's like so toxic. I hate dealing with them. Well, that's our own fault because we set up an environment that wasn't going to be successful. Yeah. this uh, I think of abundance mindset that people talk about a lot, especially when it comes to prospecting. And the thing I always disliked about how people talk about it is it's like a fake it till you make it kind of approach versus this is just very, hey, I have to convince them at some point that we're potentially a person that could help them solve this problem, but they kind of have to convince us and convince themselves that it's the why change, why now kind of pieces, you know, yeah. of the equation. Um, so if we backtrack a bit, because when I asked you, uh, when we were doing some prep for this, I always like to ask people, what's your sales superpower? And you said, get to the truth faster, like you just mentioned. And one of those was talking about problems versus what you're selling. My question for you is, yeah, we should know the problems of the people that we're going to be talking to. What are your, what's your advice on how we should talk about some of those problems? And the reason I ask is that I find a lot of people are like, I was calling you because you got a big problem and we can help you with it. You know, kind of, it's very accusatory and it just turns off, especially as a seasoned executive is like, hey, buddy, <laughs> what do you know about me? You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you suggest that we talk about these problems in a way where people are like, oh, they like lean in and are actually curious versus feeling like you're you know, pointing a finger at them? 
Exactly. Well, there, there are a couple. There are a couple things. One is first is developing what my buddy Bob London calls the elevator rants. So Bob coined this okay. term. We use it a little bit differently, but still, I give him credit because I love the term the elevator rant. The idea of the elevator rant is: let's say you are in an elevator just by yourself. Doors are about to close. Someone sticks their arm in. Doors spring open. Two people get on the elevator. Doors close behind them. It's your ideal client. What would they complain to one another about that when you hear it, you think, man, no one's better at solving that than us. These people are lucky to be on the elevator with us. We can help them better than anybody else. What would it sound like? And so that's where we get into kind of a what some people call the voice of the customer. But it's really thinking about what it would sound like. When I ask people, well, so what does it sound like? They'll say to me, well, they would say this. And I'm like, no, 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 not they would say. If you were overhearing it, what would it sound like verbatim? And it usually yeah. has three components to it. It usually has some level of emotion, an issue, and then the impact, meaning, man, I'm sick and tired of X. The issue is kind of the superficial problem, and the impact is what happens if they don't solve it. So let's say that someone was contacting you about prospecting, or they, you know, that you overheard people talking about prospecting. They might be saying, man, I'm sick and tired of us spending a ton of money on outbound, and it seems like Nobody gives us the time of day. We can't reach anybody. And the clients we can help the most won't even listen to us. And, and now here's the impact. If that keeps up, we're going to lose market share and our business may not succeed. All right. So that's kind of the rant that, that people might have. From a prospecting standpoint, what we have to recognize is that as soon as we sound like a stereotypical salesperson, mm-hmm. All of a sudden, people's knee-jerk reaction is, no thanks, just looking. So you walk into a store, the salesperson walks up to you and says, may I help you? Now, keep in mind, that's a pretty innocuous question. May I help you? More like, no thanks, just looking, just get away from me. They just offered to help. And more like, get away from me. Why? Because we've been yeah. conditioned to believe that those people are only looking out for their own interests, not our own. So from a prospecting standpoint, there's a structure in same-side selling we call the same-side pitch which is entice, disarm, and discover. So first, we entice by sharing problems that we solve with dramatic or extraordinary results. Then we disarm the notion that we're just there to sell something by acknowledging not everyone's a good fit for us. Then we trigger a discovery phase to learn more about their situation to see if we can help. Now, for many people who have been trained in sales, they find that to be counterintuitive. Because, well, no, no, we start with these, these big open-ended questions, like what keeps you up at night, All right? So people have been trained to ask these ridiculous questions. Well, what, what's your biggest issue? What keeps you up at night? Well, what if they responded and said, oh, what keeps me up at night? I have a puppy and he licks himself. Like, now what do you do? Oh, uh, what else keeps you up? And it's like, all you're going to get is what's most recent in their mind. And what most people recognize is that more often than not, the biggest issue that you help your clients address is often a blind spot for them that they're not even aware of. So if we ask them what's their biggest issue, they're probably not going to identify the thing we can help them with the most. But if we said to them, gee, our clients who, let's say you're calling, you know, whatever, you're calling, um, um, you're calling manufacturers, you might say, so manufacturers often reach out to us because they're usually facing, facing one of two or three challenges. Is it okay if I spend 15 seconds? I'll share with you what those are. You can tell me whether or not we continue talking after that. 
Most people will give you the 15 seconds, right? I mean, this is all stuff that you teach, right? So if you if you yeah. ask, hey, if I keep that 15, sure, great. So they usually either have this issue, this issue, or that issue. For the right organizations, they tell us we can deliver amazing results, but about half the people we talk to are the right fit for how we approach that. I don't even know if it's worth us having a further conversation, but if one of those piques your interest, I'm happy to learn more to see if we might be able to help. So that disarm part that says only about half the people we speak with are right fit freaks salespeople out. Cause like, I don't want to acknowledge and say that half the people aren't a fit. I'm like, well, but isn't it true? No, I don't think so. I'm like, okay. It's like, do the math. Like, just like yeah. start doing the analysis and you're like, oh yeah, it's not even close to half. It's more like 20% of the people you talk to are a good fit. Okay. So yeah. what's wrong with having that conversation and being upfront about it? So now you're not just there to sell something. You're there to solve. I always say that you can show up in one of two ways in sales. You can either show up as someone who's there to sell or someone who's there to solve. And if you show up as someone who's there to sell, you're likely to get some equivalent of no thanks, just looking. And if you if you show up to solve, then the customer is thinking, well, I don't know if I have that problem, but I want to figure out if I do, because if I do, it sounds like they can solve it. And so when you talk about how do you present it, I believe it's about identifying here are the kind of problems that we help people address. Only about half the people we talk to are even facing those issues where it's important enough to solve. But if you're facing that, I'm happy to learn more to see if we might be able to help. And now it's like, if it's important enough for them to solve, they're going to be like, well, tell me about the second one. And now we're having a conversation about them yeah. instead of us. Yeah. In, in marketing, we talk about push versus pull. You know, an outbound tends to get this connotation that it has to be push, push, push. But there's give and take in what you did there where you're getting yeah. the other person to lean in. And this is something that, you know, every now and then I'm a guest on someone's podcast like yours where I learn something from the host. <laughs> and I remember that was one of the things I learned from our first conversation that this is not for everyone. Yeah. It's so powerful because it's, it just, it relieves this anxiety of, okay, this person's not going to pitch me relentlessly. I'm not going to have to be rude to this person and hang up on them. You know, Absolutely. which I think that people don't realize the prospects really, most of them don't want to be a complete jerk to you. And we put them yeah. in these situations that are really awkward where they have to reject us really hard because we won't stop talking. Exactly. And, and the thing is that the way most prospecting happens is I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. I want to know who the decision maker is about this. You just don't know yet that I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. So tell me who I should talk to. And it's like, you know, I get that phone call and I immediately like, like look at my business card and start Googling like, wait, I don't work for this person. Do I now? Okay, cool. Then you can piss off because like you, there's no reason for me to give you this information. I love when people call up and say, well, I need this information. I'm like, well, you're going to have to get used to disappointment because I'm not sharing that information with you. Like it's, 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 nah. it, it sucks being you, but yeah, it doesn't work that way slick. And it's, that's the kind of stuff that just baffles me. And it's just because people haven't been trained. Most of the mistakes that people make are a function of they haven't learned the right technique. So they haven't learned from you the right way to prospect so that it's non-confrontational. And you, you start off by saying, we met on a, uh, you, know, you sent me a cold email, right? Yeah. And now we've been friends and know each other. Well, I call you a friend. I, you may not call me one, but you know, it's that, it's that notion of, you know, you, you you connected in an authentic way, and it's like, yeah. okay, wait, we can add value to each other, as opposed to 
how many connections you get on LinkedIn where it's like, well, I want to learn more about your business. What, well, how's your 2022 going? And I'm like, dude, I don't even know you. Like, why would yeah. I share that information with you? And and somebody taught them to do that. It's not like that person was born and said, I got an idea. Once I can learn how to speak and then type, I'm going to send this message on LinkedIn. No, someone taught them to do this. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I want to point out too is that this kind of rant that you had just now was very much a good glimpse inside the head of an executive and how they think about this stuff. I don't know. You probably talked to your clients about it, the sales leaders, but it's like, these are sales leaders. Even these are people that want to see what other reps are doing just to get an idea. And that's the attitude where it's like, you want to learn more about what I'm working on. Like you need to demonstrate some, I, I call it demonstrating business acumen, you know, with these challenges and these elevator rants, it's right away in a cold call or a discovery call or whatever, where I can say, Hey, here are typically the challenges that people come to us to help solve. And, you know, we're not a fit for everyone. And you nail that part. It's like, okay, I'm talking to someone that's a peer here. I'm not going to waste my time. I think it was LinkedIn state of sales. I think it was the 2021. It was was something like buyers felt like it was in the 90% of meetings that they attend with salespeople are a waste of time. Yeah. I think it's the last thing a sales executive wants to do is hop on a sales call that is an absolute waste of time. I think the research shows it's 90% are a waste of time and so are the other 10%. So it's like, I think, I think that's what the research showed because the reality is that if it feels and sounds like a sales conversation, it probably is a waste of time because it's someone saying, look how great our stuff is. And if you can master this idea of disarming up front, Mm -hmm. then it works really well. It'd be like, if you walked into the doctor, the doctor's like, Oh, let me, let me talk to you about this treatment that we have but they never diagnosed that you have that condition. You'd be like, get away from me. You're a quack. That would be malpractice. It's the same thing in business, but people just don't call it malpractice. They just call it incompetence. So instead what we want to do is say, okay, how do we show up as someone who's there to solve instead of sell? How do we make it so that we build some level of parity? It's not about pick me, pick me. It's about, we're trying to see if there's a fit between us. Yeah. No, I love that. I want to shift gears into questions. I was, I can't remember if I was rereading a, a part of the book or saw you post a podcast or something about it, but you talked about why asking makes sense, why it's just not a great question to ask. And it's something that I, I catch myself doing it every now and then too. I'm like, oh God, why did I just ask that? Does that make sense? Do you have any questions? You know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. You have a really good take on questions that I like that again, fits this, uh, you know, disarming the prospect, keeping the conversation, like inviting them to answer versus, yeah, it makes sense. You know, <laughs> what are your well, thoughts on so, questions? How do you think so about there, them? There are a lot of positive tone questions that yeah. we've been conditioned to ask and answer without thinking. So someone says, hey, everything good? Yeah. Even if it's not, you just need your reaction. Yes. If you ask the question in a slight negative, our brain has to actually think about it more more likely to get an honest answer. So if I was talking to somebody about what what the investment would be to do something. So if one of my clients is saying, "Oh, well, gee, in order to, you know, in order to do something, their clients would have to pay $50,000." Instead of saying, "So, so $50,000, that sound good." They might say, "So the investment is $50,000. Should we not continue?" Right, and you ask in the slight negative, and what happens is their brain goes, "Should we not? Con- no, we should continue." 
Okay. And it's like the asking in the slight negative just tends to get people to think differently and actually give a more thoughtful and honest answer. It it used to be they taught people, you want to ask all these questions that get an affirmative answer. So you get three yeses and you say, hey, would you like to buy our stuff? And like, they're going to be fooled into saying yes to the fourth time. (laughs) It's like, it's like that may work if you're if you're you know selling bubble gum, but probably not in B two B sales. So no. we're just trying to get to the truth because the person who says yes but doesn't mean it, like you just booked the deal and now tomorrow they're going to be like, yeah, we changed our mind. You know what happened? Well, we regained consciousness. That's what happened. As opposed to we're just trying if we're trying to get to the truth, it's okay to be a little bit skeptical and let them convince us. Yeah, you had an example that I think you talked about from your standpoint as a speaker, you know, instead of uh, does that make sense? What wasn't clear about what I said? Like yeah. assuming bringing that skeptical viewpoint, because uh, you you shared that with me when we were doing prep for this. and I started actually using that in the training calls that I do. And every single time someone shares something and I'm like, thank you, because I know that everyone else had that question, too. It's one of those things you remember in school, right? Where the teacher's like, anyone got any questions? Everyone's got the same question. And one person actually raises their hand and answers, asks the question that everyone was thinking. It's the same kind of thing. Do you have, because I feel like this is such an awesome technique. Do you have more examples of how someone might use this in a discovery call or kind of, you know, discovery uh, intro call, anything like that with a prospect? What other... You can you can ask you can ask questions like, well, people people often come to us when they're trying to address this, this or that. Does one of those stand out for you, or is there another one that I'm totally missing? Right? And yeah. it's like it shows a little bit of humility, and they're like, Well, actually, I do have this other issue that's kind of related to the second one. Really? How so? And then yeah. they'll dive into that. Or it could be something along the lines of you, you, when, you, when you talk to somebody, you say, Well, there's two different ways that we could approach this. One would be this method, one would be that one. Which one of those is more or less attractive for you? And now it's like you're letting them pick. So usually people in sales are taught to kind of box someone into a corner. And when that happens, people either take fight or flight. And instead, Mm -hmm. it's like we're just making choices together. And so it's almost like there's, there's a concept that we teach called the client success roadmap that maps out the process for customers from the first interaction all the way through measuring results. And so the way that we teach our clients to, to use this is they say, so there's, there's a process that we found drives the greatest results for our clients. How open would you be to me sharing that with you? And you can tell me where we need to make adjustments to fit your business. No one says, oh, I wouldn't be open to that. They're like, yeah, totally. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. And then you lay out the process. Well, guess what? Human beings are inherently a little bit lazy. So you yeah. lay out the process. They're like, yeah, that sounds good. And now they've just agreed to your process from the first meeting through measuring results, which happens to include the sales methodology and sales process as well. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's Let me know if you feel like this analogy is appropriate. I always think of the sales process a lot like hosting. Like if my wife, Sarah, and I had you and your wife over for dinner, 
you want to kind of like as hosts, we want to lead that interaction. So in other words, when you come in, we don't want you to have to think about where it's okay to sit down or not, or, or if it's okay to go in the fridge or drink or whatever, like we want to also make you feel like you're a part of the process too. So that's where we'd ask you, Hey, wine, beer, alcohol free. What are you? Do you have any dietary restrictions where it's like, I'm doing a lot of the work, but I'm making you feel like you're a part of it. And I'm giving you, I think that, let me know if you agree with this or not. I feel like salespeople are afraid to give up what they think is giving up control by allowing the prospect to have a choice. I feel like they think they're giving up control. Yeah, you know what? I, I tend to agree. I think people think, well, if I ask them this, then then, I, then I've seeded control. It's like, no. If I basically tell you, here's this process. Tell me where you think we need to deviate to better fit your business and how you guys go through this process. Someone's going to look and see this detailed process and go, wow, you thought about more stuff than we have. This looks really good. It's like I encourage people when they set up a meeting in advance. Before the meeting, they say, look, we're going to spend at least the first half of the meeting asking you questions. want to make sure we fully understand your situation to see if we can even help. Make sure to leave enough time to answer any questions you have. By the end of our meeting, you and I will either conclude we don't have a fit. It looks like we might. We'll add the next steps together. How's that sound? Sounds great. Okay. Now you show up to the meeting. They're not playing stump the guesser because if someone yeah. asked them right before the meeting, what's this meeting about? They would say, oh, they're just trying to see whether or not there's a fit and whether or not they can help. And it changes the whole dialogue. So oftentimes people say, well, my clients would never share that information. Not if they think you're just there to sell something because now they're on defense. But if you said, I'm just trying to figure out if we have a fit. Um, yeah, okay. Like that, that's fine. Now you can't yeah. say, well, I'm just trying to see if there's a fit. And then you come to the meeting and go, let me tell you why we're the best vendor. It's like, it's just, there's a disconnect. Yeah. yeah. And again, I come back to kind of bring the conversation full circle, that same side, you know, sort of analogy where it's just, if that's your intention coming in, it's, it makes it much more simple to actually execute on that when that's actually your intention. You don't have to use weird techniques to fake this stuff. Just actually be on the same side as the prospect. (laughs) You know what I mean? I know it sounds very simple, but it's, uh, I'm thinking a lot of times, especially when people are cold calling, it's how do I get the meeting? How do I get the meeting? No. How do I see if this person, one, is just willing to engage and and two, if they have something they're willing to explore with us. And a lot of people are not willing to engage with you, which is okay too. yeah, I, I would I would say the goal of the first interaction is is there a you know is it worth it for either of us to have another meeting? Yeah, that's our goal. It's like, does it even make sense for us to take the time to meet again? I always ask people, I'm like, so what's your goal? The first what's your goal of the first interaction? Do you get a meeting? No, your goal is to find out if a meeting would be a waste of your time. That's your goal. Yeah. So. Once you change that, all of a sudden, then you can be a little bit skeptical. And now it's like, well, I don't know if they've convinced me that this is really worth solving. So I don't know if it makes sense. And and you can even get someone who says, hey, can you guys come out and do a demo? Let's say it's a technology. We come out and do a demo. You know, at this point, I, I don't even know that a demo is a good use of your time or our time. I don't yet have the sense that this is an important enough issue that would warrant a change in your organization if I miss something and then just shut up. And they're either going to convince you that it is worth doing or they won't. And too often, I just think too many organizations pursue the wrong deals. There's a, uh, there's a client of mine I had on my podcast recently talked about their growth where there's a construction company that was doing 
for three years in a row between 100 and 120 million dollars a year, just kind of back and forth, it kind of plateaued. And so he said, "Look, you need to focus on the clients you can help the most and ignore the other ones." And people in leadership were a little bit skeptical. They're like, "Well, but but we're going to lose business." I'm like, "No, no, you're going to carve out the niche in the areas you can help people the most, and then you're not going to do the stuff that anyone could do." And then you're going to own these verticals. It's like, ah, I don't know. So you fast forward five years, the company's doing $600 million. And this is, you know, through 2021 when they were dealing with COVID also. So they were doing less construction than they would have otherwise. But it takes a little bit of a leap of faith. Like, okay, you're going to focus on the ideal clients. You're going to walk away from the other ones. If you've got a mindset of scarcity, that's going to freak you out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit crazy. I just, yeah. I'm just thinking as you're sharing that I've gone through this journey in my own business. You know what I mean? And yeah, uh, yeah it definitely takes a leap of faith. I want to ask you about one more thing before we jump. Cause you mentioned blind spots. And when I think about discovery, what I think about lazy discovery is the thing you made fun of earlier. Hey, what's your yeah. biggest challenge right now? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like helping the client discover a blind spot of theirs is really kind of where it's at. Um, can you share a little bit more about just that concept of blind spots and like, how do we kind of tactically navigate a conversation that gets to those natural blind spots that someone might have? So, and when I share it, it's going to sound obvious, but as with most great things, I, I, I like to say that nothing new has been invented in sales in the last 5,000 years. And we didn't break that trend today, but hopefully yeah. we're giving people different perspectives and ways to look at things. So if let's say there yeah. was some there there was some issue that people were facing. So let's say I'm someone who sells into healthcare companies. And healthcare companies right now, they have this big issue with supply chain challenges, things coming out of China that they can't get. So I could either say, well, I bet you guys have this issue with supply chain challenges, or hey, I saw this this um this um article about you guys where you had supply chain issues, and they're gonna probably deny it. Or I could say, a lot of the healthcare companies we've been talking to have been sharing with us that they're having supply chain challenges and things they used to reliably get from overseas, they just can't get anymore. How common is that? And now it's like, oh, that's really common. We have that same issue. Now, if you said to them, hey, a lot of clients have this, I bet you do too. They'd be like, not us, man. We're better. And so, yeah. But if you said, how common is it like, Oh, dude, everyone's facing that. Really? How do you guys address that today? I mean, the problem is that, you know, some of the stuff we just can't get. Okay. So is that just kind of a nuisance or like when you can't get it, does it actually impact your ability to deliver care? No, it's actually kind of a big deal. Okay. And for some of our clients, they tell us that that could affect their accreditation and reimbursement. How about for you guys? Yeah, that's, that's, and all of a sudden now it's like you're uncovering the urgency for them. Yeah. But I'm not assuming that that's their case. I'm just sharing that this might be happening with other people. How about you? And they can choose which path they go down. Now, even if you know that they have the problem, if they say, no, I don't, then you know the person you're talking to isn't focused on solving it. So you either got to get to no. somebody else inside their organization or you got to walk away. And instead, people in sales like try and double down on a bad deal. And that's yeah. where that's where you just waste a lot of time. It's such a ninja strategy. It's there's so much, and we could record a whole hour just on what you did there because there's so much, 
uh, I call it a messaging matrix. What we build with clients first is we kind of map out what are the typical priorities that someone like this might have and the problems and the ways they might currently solve it. And it's like you can start suggesting all these little nuggets. And again, I always think business acumen, you're talking to an executive like, wow. Like when I do this well in a sales call, I had a sales leader one time. He's like, dude, were you like listening into our Zoom meeting yesterday or, or what? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can get that level of response. And it's really interesting how when you really nail this, 80, 90% of the people that you end up doing a sales call with are experiencing something very similar. And yeah. they talk about it in a very similar way too, which is very strange. Well, and some of them might say, yeah, we have that mm-hmm. issue. Okay. So how important is it to, to address that issue compared to other things on your plate right now? You know what? I mean, it's something we'd like to address, but it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Do you, do you think it makes your top five? No, not right now. Okay. So what would happen that would that would get into the top five? Is it just getting the other stuff off your plate? Or like, because for a lot of organizations, it's a high priority. And for some, it isn't. I just want to make sure that we give it the proper level of attention consistent with what you guys need. So if it's urgent, you want to address it right now. I want to make sure we focus on that. If it's not that important, I want to know that too. So so where do you think we are? And now, once again, you're just trying to get to the truth. If they go, it's not that important. Yeah. People in sales are like, well, it should be important. Well, it's not your money. So like, unless you're paying for it, all that matters is what they think is important. Yeah, this has been great. I uh, Before we take off, I have uh, a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Um, right. So one is, what is something you believe about sales that most would disagree with? Um, well, it gets back to what I said earlier that I believe effective sales is not about persuasion or coercion. It's about getting the truth as quickly as possible. And a lot of people would categorically disagree and say, no, it's all about persuasion. I don't think it is. Love it. And lastly, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a rookie sales rep? Um, know unequivocally what problems you solve and who your ideal clients are and spend 99% of your time in that space and don't get distracted by the other stuff. Don't think to yourself, well, they haven't convinced me they need this thing, but I know if I just have one more conversation, I'll get them over. It doesn't work that way. It's all about getting on the same side, figuring out, figuring out what you can solve together. And when you do, you never feel like you're selling you're just solving. And it's interesting because people say, well, when you go through this process, like what does closing look like? Because like when I do these full day immersion programs, people say, well, how much time do we spend on, on closing the deal? I'm like, well, for starters, we're not closing anything. We're confirming a sale. And it's as simple as saying, so would you like our help? Yeah. And that's like the most powerful thing. If you've done this right, it's just, so would you like our help? And that's something that yeah. people don't get is when you get this right, it never feels like, selling. I've got a client of mine I've worked with for years. When they first engaged me, they were, it was like, Hey, we really can't afford this. Can we pay over time? And in the last conversation, it's like, Hey, so you're going to come down and work with our team. Um, Do you want us to send our jet for you? Right. So it's a pretty big transformation for that company. And they were talking about, well, here's what's going on with the team. I said, okay, so, so would you like my help? Yeah, that'd be great. Right. And it's just, that's it. Like, that's what it should yeah. feel like. And it's something that once people get it, it's very liberating because it doesn't feel like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do a trial close. It's like, would you like my help? Yeah. Okay. Like that's it. 
Yeah, it's all that work it's done beforehand that the closing, quote unquote, is just a formality. You know what I mean? Exactly. Of course, you got to ask for the sale, you know? Um, this has been great. Uh, if you're listening and you've made it this far, make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, all that kind of good stuff. And Ian, before you take off, where can people go grab your book, learn more about you, check out your content? You got a podcast, all that good stuff. You know what? Same samesideselling.com is probably the best place. So just samesideselling.com. You can find me online. It's just Ian Altman, I-A-N-A-L-T-M-A-N. And if people reach out on LinkedIn, just you know, say, hey, it was on the Blissful Pro- Prospecting podcast or with Jason Bay, so I know what it is. Because as you might imagine, I get a few um, a few LinkedIn requests each day from people just trying to demonstrate how poorly people can do cold outreach. So it'd be nice to just, it'd be nice. That's, that's what I'm assuming their intention is, is to give me good examples of poor cold outreach. And so anybody who's listened to your podcast, I'd like to reach out to say, hey, and, uh, and I listen to you with Jason Bay and I'd love to accept it and, and connect with people. 